Tonight, we're going to get into, uh, I figured we'd just go really lighthearted and talk, talk about John the Baptist and, oh, sorry, haha, trying to get away from me. John the Baptist, he gets arrested, Matthew chapter 11, and Jesus, uh, Jesus is approached by John the Baptist's disciples, and they say, John wants to know Jesus, are you the one? You guys familiar with that section of scripture, right? And Jesus says, in short, yes, I'm the one. Miracles are happening everywhere I go. But John, blessed are those who do not stumble because of me. And Jesus says, and in that, he's saying, he's taking ownership of where John is. John, don't stumble because of my providence. Don't stumble because of my sovereignty. Matthew 11, verse 11, is so cool. I want to talk about this verse because what I'm really going to be teaching about out of Matthew 14, it really doesn't resonate with everybody. There's going to be people who say, actually, your whole teaching is kind of malarkey because I think John the Baptist made a big mistake. See, what happened to get John in jail was he confronted sin. And there's a voice in all of us, I think, that says it's not always the good thing to do to confront sin. It's not always smart. And surely there's definitely timing in it, for sure. But God's heart is that his church confronts sin, right? Well, confronting that sin gets John put in prison. And some people might say, had John not confronted that sin... He could still be out doing his calling. He could be out preparing the way for the Messiah. He could be out telling people to repent. He could be out warning people, turn from your sin. Right? But instead, now he's in jail and he's not doing his calling. There's people who argue that. Well, I'm going to tell you what Jesus had to say in the context of John being in prison Right after his disciples come, Jesus looks at the crowd in Matthew 11, verse 11, and he says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. That's pretty awesome. I mean, it's pretty cool if your mom likes you and says you're pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome if your dad likes you and says, wow, you're pretty awesome. But when Jesus says, among those born of women, there's no one greater than you, whoa, that is awesome. Jesus doesn't seem to be thinking John should have kept his mouth shut. Jesus doesn't think John was crazy or that John is outside of his calling or that John made a mistake and now he's in prison. Jesus says, he's great. He's awesome. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much, God, for your word, how awesome it is. Lord, I thank you that you see us. You see where we are. You know us. You formed us. Jesus, all of us were made by you, and we just praise you right now. Thank you so much for Pastor Eric and the team of 65 in Israel. Lord, we pray you'll get them all home safely. Thank you that the report is good, that they've met you there. We just praise you for that. 
Jesus, we thank you for John the Baptist. We thank you for his example. And Lord, tonight as we go into your word, would you anoint it with your presence? Would you anoint this room, Lord, with your presence? Holy Spirit, that you'd fill this room with your presence. That your word would be met with faith in our hearts, Lord. Would you find us meeting you, believing, and having faith? And Jesus, would you do a work in us? Lord, your word is powerful. It gives us life. Lord, would you let your word today give us life? Jesus, would you meet us? Pray in your mighty name. Amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 14. Eric, knowing that he was going to Israel, he asked me if I would teach. And I've had actually a few months' notice on this. And so, why? It doesn't make any sense that Monday I finally put this together, right? Isn't that weird? That's my human nature. But there is something that the Lord stirred me months ago when Eric asked me to teach. And I was reading in my, in my personal devotions, in my quiet time, about the beheading of John the Baptist. So let's talk about light things tonight. Okay. What happened at the end of this? I'm titling this teaching Jesus' response to evil. The Lord's response to evil. And we, we've... If you've watched the news, you've recently seen about the beautiful woman who, who was murdered in Woodland Park, right? And it's just evil. Evil's happening all around us. I'm not going to talk much about evil, actually. I'm not going to exalt it. I'm not going to give it the press because Jesus is bigger. What is God's response, though? God... He saw all the evil happening in the world, and his response was very simple. I'm going to send my son. He's going to dive right into the evil. He's going to go right to the very heart of that darkness, and he's going to deliver people from it. And in the end, everyone will know that God is good. And in the end, everyone will glorify God. God's response to evil was to come and live and dwell and suffer right in the middle of it. That's pretty powerful. It's pretty powerful. So the characters in today's teaching are Herod, the Tetrarch, Herodias, the woman. I'm not sure if Herod took her as a wife or or not, to be honest with you. But she was with Herod when she was supposed to be with her husband, Philip, Herod's half-brother. Another character is the daughter of Herodias, which is Herod's niece. And we got John the Baptist, who is sent by God. We've got John's disciples, and we've got Jesus. Quite the mix of people. Let's start in verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. There are three times in in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that this story is told. And in each of them, there's a conversation happening about who is this Jesus. And Herod is at the center of this conversation. He's asking a smart question. I'll give him that. 
I think we, we all are thankful for the day we decided to ask, who is Jesus? He's asking the right question, but he's surrounding himself with poor counsel. Now the word here in verse, verse 2 is that he's talking to his servants. Other um, translations say he's talking to his advisors. And in the other Gospels, as they're talking about this, and as, as Herod's considering who Jesus is, a lot of people are contributing answers to who Jesus is. But we see that Herod is paranoid. He's worried he's seeing a ghost. Because in the following verses, it's Herod who ultimately gets John the Baptist killed. We're kind of seeing the end of the story before we actually see the story. And John the Baptist is paranoid. He's seeing ghosts. He did something bad, and it's haunting him. And that's a frightening thought, isn't it? Today we call that regret. <laughs> We've got a word for it. We do sin. All of us do. And in the end, it haunts us until we do something with that sin. Jesus took our sin on the cross. Jesus took away the ghost. Jesus took away the regret, didn't he? But Herod's struggling. Now, here's the thing. Herod's fishing. Herod wants to hear from people that Herod's going to be okay. Herod's not concerned with who Jesus is, except for how does that affect Herod. And he surrounded himself with yes men. Yes men aren't real men. Herod surrounded himself with people who say, Herod, you're fine. Don't worry about it. It's not John. John's gone. You cut the head off the dude. He can't come back. But this guy's doing powerful things. This guy's doing amazing things. And oops, I just heard he raised the dead. So John could come back. And Herod's scared. Herod spent a lot of time hiding from his sin, hiding from his regrets. But he surrounded himself with people who would tell him that he's going to be okay. He was fishing for that. Number one sign that we're guilty is we're looking for people to tell us we're not guilty. <laughs> we're, we're going to be okay. Here's what ends up happening to Herod. Herod and Herodias, what an interesting name, by the way, I feel like it's something I would tell my kid, don't touch that. That's Herodias. Right. <laughs> Stay away from that Herodiasness. Right? That's not a name we give anyone anymore. We wouldn't even, I don't know. I, I'm not going to go there. Okay. Herod and Herodias, they follow through with the evil in their heart. And as a result, years from now, not many years from now, not many years after Christ rises from the dead, they lose everything. They lose all their authority, and they're sent to live in exile. Herod represents the world. The world wants to chase after its lusts. It wants to chase after its desires. And in the end, it ends up in exile, right? The worst form of exile. Exile from God himself. Exile from God for all eternity. Here's a cool thought, though. We don't know if Herod 
and Herodias, <laughs> we don't know if they repented. We don't know the story. Guys, this story's in here not to talk about evil because that's all we ever see. We don't need to talk anymore about it, do we? This story's in here to tell the world that God is faithful. So what does God do? He sends John the Baptist. Let's keep reading. Herod ruled over Galilee at the time of Christ, and about five, six years after Christ, he gets exiled with Herodias. And then the Jews after that, all of the Jews after that, say it's because of what he did to John the Baptist. The watching world said, God is just, and this is what you deserve when you treat someone so evil. Well, let's see what happens. Verse 3, For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. This is an interesting one. John the Baptist is famous. By today's standards, John the Baptist would be who we would call Billy Graham. Everyone recognized Billy Graham. When kings were doing evil, who did God send to talk to the kings? Billy Graham. Right? Because God is faithful. When the world was falling apart, who did God send? He sent Billy Graham. So that that king on the judgment day can't sit there before God and say, well, God, I didn't know. And then what's going to happen? God's going to say, I sent Billy. I was faithful. And guess what? All the people believed Billy to be a prophet. Everybody did. Nobody said a bad thing about John the Baptist. No one ever says anything bad about Billy Graham. You notice that? One of the evidences that you're in God's will, one of the evidences that what you're doing is working for the kingdom of God is that people hate you. John 17, I've given them your word and the world has hated them, Jesus said. It's like the shampoo that you put in your hair, if it tingles, that means it's working. It's like that. And evidence that you're doing God's will is that the world would hate you. But Billy Graham and John the Baptist, they were kind of next level. For me personally, I love going into prisons, juvenile detention centers. Love it because they want to hear that God is good. I want to go to an audience that wants to hear that God is good. But there are those that God says, you need to go talk to this king. You need to go talk to this queen, this president, this dictator. Because God is faithful. But Herod laid hold of John... And Herod believed, guess what? All I got to do is lock John up. Here's my first point for the night. No one has John unlocked. You can't lock John up. In our marriages, here's what it looks like when we try to lock John up in our marriage. You've got a sin in your life. I've got a sin in my life. And I don't want to give it up. And my wife, she's lovingly, faithfully, because God is faithful, she's telling me, you got to stop doing that. And I'm like, don't you ever talk to me about that again. I just locked John up. I just put him away. I don't want to talk about that. 
Do you guys have anything in your family, in your house, that you can't talk about? Do you find yourself telling someone in your family, hey, when you come over, don't talk about fill in the blank? Someone's trying to lock you up. That's what we try to do. We try to lock John up. We try to lock the truth up. We try to lock our sin. We try to hide it. So what does it say? Specifically, Herod laid hold of John, bound him, and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. God was faithful to send John. We're going to see in the next verse. And Herod does what? Not, for the, not because she's saying, hey, would you go take John and lock him up because I'm sick of hearing the truth? I'm sick of being convicted. I want my sin, and I don't want someone telling me I can't have my sin, so I'm just going to lock them up. It's because of Herod's sin that Herod wanted John locked up. So he bound him, put him in the dungeon. There are, there's no Wi-Fi in the dungeon, guys. Herod can't worry that someone's going to hear from John the Baptist about the sin that Herod's doing. Right? He locked him up. We can do that in our own lives. It could be even small things, but we can do it in our own lives. It's not every divorce that is a result of somebody sinning, but it's a lot of them, right? Years pass, and you're harboring this lust, you're harboring this desire, and your wife or your husband are always there, standing there like John, saying, That's, that, that ain't good. And eventually... You manipulate them or threaten them, or I do, with my words, or be quiet, I don't want to hear it, I'm sick of talking about it, or seclusion, the cold shoulder treatment, we won't talk to one another, because we don't want to give up our sin. We do what Herod did with John. We take him and we lock him up. We bind him so he can't get out. And then, years later, when people say, how's your marriage, and we're still together, we say, yeah, it's all right. It's okay. I mean, it could be better. I guess it's like every marriage, two people, sinners. You know how it is, right? Stay faithful to God in your marriage. Here's another thing, though. Here's what we see more and more kids lock parents up. They grab them, and they say, Mom and Dad, I'm never talking to you again. And then Mom and Dad can't talk to them about that anymore because they don't want to be yelled at anymore. They don't want to hear the door slam again. Well, why would I bother? They're out of the house in two years. Let the world figure it out. (laughs) Right? Kids are locking up John. No one has John unlocked. Because it's God who's faithful to your kid to send someone else. It's God who's faithful to your husband to send someone else. It's God who's faithful to your wife to send someone else. So they're just little Herods running around. <laughs> okay, verse 4. Because John has said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. 
I gotta admit, guys, as I've read this over the years, for the past 10 years, I've gone through the Gospels every year, many times, every year, because I just love the Gospels, and I can't go without it. I don't know the last time I taught, and it wasn't in the Gospels. I'm just consumed with the Gospels. But every time until now, I read that as John going, Hey, bro, you better knock it off. Hey, God's going to judge you. God's going to strike you with lightning. I always picture John being angry. That was wrong. John was saying, stop, man. Herod, this isn't lawful. Everyone's watching. You're the leader. The world is watching. And what of your brother, Philip? What of your own wife? Bro, this isn't lawful. This isn't good. He's having this conversation because God is faithful. Because God is faithful to Herod. All right. Verse 5. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. You better believe there are people who wanted Billy dead. Like, I am so sick and tired of hearing Billy Graham. Like, and God, I think in his humor, let him live to be 3,000 years old, too. I think it was just hilarious. But no one would say it. They wouldn't say it. Herod wanted John dead. Because it's not enough to lock him up. And so, they're at Herod's birthday party. And John is locked up. Herod has decided, I'm not going to kill him because the multitude, they all view him as a prophet. And so they're going to dance. I'm going to try my best. They're doing this. <laughs> Woo! Parte! Okay, I did it. I'm doing this for my daughter. <laughs> She's shaking her head like, oh no. <laughs> Verse 6. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. I, I, I struggle with grown men who are celebrating their birthday. I have a, it's a struggle of mine. I was talking to a guy. I'm like, bro, you got to come on this mission trip. It's going to be epic. He's like, when is it? I said the dates. He's like, oh, it's my birthday. I'm like, so what? <laughs> but you know what? When you're a parent, your birthday matters more all of a sudden, doesn't it? Because your kids make a big deal out of it. But in this case, Herod's making a big deal of Herod. And Herodias is saying, John's on lock. Let's have the birthday party. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be epic. But their problem is God's, on, God's still faithful. Point number two, there is life and love in God's faithful rebuke. Life and love in God's faithful rebuke. I may get rebuked for trying to do that dance. We'll see. Life and love and God's faithful rebuke. We don't always receive it well. 
And guys, if, if you haven't received the rebuke that's come from your wife or from your children or from your boss or from your pastor, from good friends, just remember God is faithful in that. God is being faithful through your friends. He's being faithful through your wife. But now we're seeing some unfaithfulness coming. The daughter of Herodias dancing is the niece of Herod, and Herod lusts for her. He's having a party. They're drinking. They've done it many times. Right now, he's been ruling Galilee region for over 30 years. This brother knows how to party. And God is faithful. The rebuke of God is faithful. It's loving. Herodias' daughter is dancing, and I'm sure she wasn't doing the dance I just did. She pleased Herod, who at this point is well drunk, and so are his friends. And Herod calls her over and says, you dance so wonderfully. Verse 7, therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Herod sells out. Sells out. The opportunity has just arised for terrible things to happen. Oh man, he can't take these words back. What happens? It all falls apart. You know the story of Esau and Isaac? Esau, wait, Esau and Jacob, sorry. Esau and Jacob? What, what happens? Esau sold his birthright, didn't he? He sold out. For what? For a bowl of stew. He sold out. That's what's going to happen with the flesh. We give up so much over one silly decision because of our lust and our flesh. And he wants a stew, and he sells his birthright. History changed because of that bowl of stew. History changed. And that's what we're seeing here. Because what's going to happen next costs Herod everything. Verse 8. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. Oh, dang. Oh, man, I forgot about John. Oh, how'd this happen? No. I can't do it. Herod had been harboring this desire to kill John the Baptist. He wanted him dead. We just read that, right? But he wasn't going to do it because it would cost him a lot. It was a terrible political decision. I don't know what would have happened to anyone who killed Billy Graham. That's not easy to recover from. Right? You guys... My next point, there are other forces at work. Herod thought, I would love to kill John the Baptist, but I would never. 
No way. That'd be foolish. Guys, we're the same. We can be Herod. I'm trusting that the Lord will give you a fill-in-the-blank moment here. And I want you to fill in the blank. I'm talking about those things that come out of our mouth. We say sentences like, I've always wanted to, but I would never fill in the blank. Because a lot of people, pretty much everybody, carries a lust or a desire or a sin, something evil, a little evil, Herod heart evil in their heart, and they can carry it for years. And somewhere inside of them, they feel like they have control over it. I don't know what that lust is. I don't know what that evil is, but it's in every heart of ours. And we've got we've to catch it and we've got to stop it. Herod was harboring a desire to kill. He knew it was a bad idea. Man, I'm tempted to go and just kill John the Baptist, but I would never. But there are forces outside of us, guys. They're setting the stage for just the right time to get us to do what we would never do. And we're not ready for it. I lived in West Africa, uh, Sierra Leone. First place for worst place. It's the worst place to be born. It's the worst place for income, disease, corruption. It's always winning first prize in all of those categories. And I knew a lot of foreigners who were there. I was there four months without my family. Every temptation you could possibly imagine came my way. Almost daily. But I had resolved in my heart. And I knew the Lord. And quite honestly, God is super good. (laughs) And I was prepared for those temptations. But I knew someone who wasn't. And my first week there, I met him. And he was so excited to be there. I was so excited to be there. The world was wide open. Things were crazy and exciting and fun. Everywhere I went, I got to share the gospel. If I stood on a corner, I started talking. Soon 200 people would come and they'd hear the gospel. It was awesome. It was awesome. But when that sun went down, you better go to your house. Because there's a whole new world when that sun goes down. Well, that guy I met my first week there, I didn't see again for two months. And when I saw him two months later, all of those things he had ever been tempted to do but would never do, he's now been doing for two months. And he was a ghost. And he was super thin. And I said, brother, what's wrong with you, man? And he goes, I got to get out of here. This place is killing me. Because he wasn't prepared. The enemy is at work outside, outside these doors. This is what I love about church. It's so peaceful, and the fellowship is so sweet. And But when we go outside those doors, the enemy is all set up to take us down. And the enemy is working in Herod's life, and the enemy is going to try and get John the Baptist killed, and the enemy is going to do a really good job of it. And John is now doing what he wants to do but told himself he'd never do. And we could all find ourselves there doing what we really want to do but we told ourselves we'd never do. Divorce. I want to leave. 
I want to party. I want to go do my thing, but I can't. That'd be horrible. What about my kids? I'm going to stay and be righteous and cool. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not that dad. I'm not going to sell out. And the enemy's working in the background. He's setting it up. He's setting up that affair. And he's working it out. And we think we can stand. We're just this close to falling. There are other forces at work. Namely, Satan. So he promised her, whatever you want. She comes back and says, yeah, mom wants John the Baptist's head on a platter. And now it's too late. Herod says, oh, no. Verse 9, and the king was sorry, nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So chopping someone's head off, it's pretty nasty, right? It's pretty bad. I mean, it's, it ranks up there in really bad things human beings can do, bad things humans are capable of. But this Herod did a lot of it. It wasn't that difficult for him to say, okay, go ahead. Where's the wine? Go ahead. I guess it's done. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. I'm telling you guys, it's better to be John in prison than to be Herod holding that glass of wine right now. Way better. And what's, what's Herod's deal? Because of the crowd, because of the audience, and that fun dance, I don't want to spoil the fun, and I don't want to look like an idiot, I don't want to look like I said something I shouldn't have, so John's got to die. I want him to die anyway. Herodias is going to give me a sweet high five. It's going to be awesome. And so he says, go ahead, let it be done. And that's it. And it's funny. We can say we don't want that divorce. We can say we won't leave our kids. We can say a lot of things, and then so suddenly, all right, whatever. That's it. It's done. Just like that. There are other forces at work. The fear of man brings a snare. What would have happened if Herod said, okay, girl, not that. Can you believe this girl wanting Herod's head? Come on. Everyone would have cheered along with Herod and said, yeah, Herod, that's crazy. The crowd wouldn't have gone out and hung Herod. He's Herod. His dad killed how many people just on the rumor that Jesus was born, right? All right, every boy, two or younger, needs to die. I heard there might be a savior out there. That's, what, that's, that's where he comes from. That's his dad. Herod could have changed his mind. There's so many divorces. All you got to do is change your mind. That's it. It's a change of mind. 
It's that simple. Herod could have changed his mind. So he gives it. He gives in. He's sorry about it. And he goes and gets his next glass of wine. So he sent and had, verse 10, so he sent and had John beheaded in prison. I'll let you envision that. (laughs) Divorce is like it. Flesh separating. Right? When we get married, we become one flesh. And divorce, oh man, that's how that feels. Your flesh separating. Verse 11, And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. That's it. John's done. The one perceived to be a prophet. The one Jesus said, there are none greater. That's it. Or so Herod thinks. So Herod thinks. Hmm. It would seem at this point that what's done can't be undone. How can we, how can we turn back from this? Maybe you're in that place too. It's just done. I can't turn back. It's dead. The head's been cut off. Maybe your relationship with your wife, it's just done. I can't go back. I want to remind you this chapter started with rumors about a God who can raise the dead. This chapter started with rumors about a guy who can overcome the grave. Nothing's done. Your marriage isn't done. Your relationship with your kids, not done. Your relationship with your grandkids, not done. We serve a mighty God. And the head may be chopped off, doesn't mean it's done. Not in God's economy. There's a party yet to begin. I can't wait. It's going to be loud. It's going to be loud. Because it ain't done yet. John the Baptist, he's not done. Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. That's far from done. That head is going to meet that body once again. It's going to be like, woo! This is nice. Resurrected, full of power, full of might. Because Jesus isn't done. Amen. It's not done until Jesus is done. Your marriage isn't done until Jesus is done. Amen? Amen? It's not done. My next point, it's not too late. We want to get to a point where we can say, now it's done, I can wash my hands, and now I can go on with my life, and I can go on to the party. That's what we want. 
That's what our flesh wants. That's what our flesh desires. We want to get to that point. So then we can go to all of our friends and say, well, I guess it's done. It's over. It's finished. All right. Well, it's time to move on, bro. It's time to move on to the party. Right? It ain't done. You know, if you've got John locked up, you've told your wife, I ain't talking about that. You're not talking about that. Don't bring that up anymore. You think you got John on lock. It's super simple. I got, I got a solution for you. Go to your wife and say, you know what, babe, I'm sorry. Here's the thing. You've been annoying me because here's why. I want to sin because here's why. I'm selfish. Babe, will you forgive me? Because we're not done. We can't be done. We can't sell out this marriage. We can't walk away from these kids. We can't be done. Right? Man. Because Jesus ain't done. I love what Jesus does here. I just absolutely love these next few verses. Verse 12, Then John's disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. The first responders. Showing up on the emergency. And they went and they took John, they took his body and they went and buried it. It wasn't all of them. And they grabbed him and they did what all of us need to do. Go tell Jesus. If you are John and you've been locked down and you've been told not to bring it up anymore, you've been told don't talk about that anymore, you've been told stay away. I've seen addicts punch walls and punch glass. I've seen them punch cars, kick doors. Man, when I was young, a buddy of mine, his dad had gotten a DUI, and part of cleaning up meant he couldn't drink. Part of driving meant you got to blow to drive, right? And he went through this phase where every door in that place got kicked. Every door got kicked. And what was he doing? What was he doing? He was telling me, he was telling my friend, he was telling his wife, we ain't talking about this. You don't bring this up. He put everyone on lock. And if you've been put on lock, like John, you've been bound, you've been silenced, God's not done. Here's what you do. You get on your knees. Go to the bathroom. If you're doing this well, your spouse, whoever's got you on lock, is going to say things to you like, you've been going to the bathroom an awful lot lately. Here's what you do. You go to the bathroom and you say, God, have mercy on my husband. Have mercy on my wife. Have mercy on my kids. They don't deserve it. But God, have mercy because of Jesus. Because he's not done. Right? And that's what you do. And that's super powerful. Especially if they've been mean to you. Because you're kind of the victim. And you get to play Jesus in this. Jesus was on the cross. He said, God, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What a powerful prayer. What a powerful prayer. Who does that? The Savior of the world does that. And you know who else does that? His children. Go before the Lord and be Jesus and say, God, 
Forgive them. Forgive my husband. Show him mercy. Cause him to repent. Send another John. Be faithful to my husband who doesn't deserve it. Be faithful to my wife. Be faithful to my kid. Send a John. Amen? God moves when we, as the victims of that abuse, turn and say, God, forgive them. God moves when our prayer echoes his son's prayer. Let's face it. Hmm. Then Jesus heard about it, verse 13. He departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, verse 14. And he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. What blows my mind about these verses is Jesus doesn't do anything. Evil happens. John the Baptist gets his head chopped off. The disciples come and say, hey man, we buried his body. He's gone. Your cousin's gone. And Jesus does nothing. He doesn't stand and say, we must revolt. We've had enough of Herod and his dancing. He doesn't. You know what he does? He goes to be with his father. That's it. That's the answer. Because the world is full of evil, our response is to confront it because God is sending us to do that. God is sending us into the world because God is faithful to Herod. God is faithful to Herodias. God is faithful to Hitler, to Hussein, to every him, to every her, to every heart. God is faithful. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Amen? God is faithful. And we are the faithfulness of God when we go out and we confront the evil that we see around us. And when we plead with people, repent. And when evil happens to us, we plead for God to have mercy. And when evil happens to those we love, we plead for God to bring salvation because God isn't done. And the world wants to chop our head off. They want us out of the schools. They want us out of the government. They want to bind us. They want to silence us. But they can't do it for fear of the multitude. And a little thing called the Constitution. We'll see how long that lasts. I don't know. But for now, I have the right to go up to anyone and say, that is not lawful. You got to stop doing that. You need to repent of that. Your marriage isn't over yet. Just repent of that sin. Just confess it. Because guess what? My head's still on my shoulders. And so is yours. Amen? So God is faithful. Jesus, in the midst of evil, goes and he talks to his father. And there's no way you could tell me that he said, God, it's not worth it. They're too evil. They're too dark. Because Jesus knew them before he came. It was an angel of the Lord who was at Sodom. And Jesus still came and came to the cross, right? None of it's a surprise to him. So our friends are going to come and lead us in worship, in closing worship. And I want to close with this. That communion right there. That communion and that communion. These are all saying God's not done, guys. 
These are all saying God is faithful. And the Herod that lives inside of each of us, God is faithful. God is faithful to send John. God sent John to me. God is faithful to send John to you. Guys, celebrate who God is. Celebrate his victory over death. Celebrate the victory over John's death. Celebrate the victory over all those little kids that Herod killed. Celebrate the victory over abortion. Come celebrate the victory over your sin and my sin. Come and have communion. And come and celebrate a faithful God. Amen? Amen. Now, one last thing. If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't repented, if you're still harboring sin, the devil's setting it all up for you in the background, come and ask for prayer. And guess what? Christians harbor sin too. Come and ask for prayer. Man, I've been, I've been tempted with this sin all the time, and I know that this is what's going to take me down one day, and I want prayer. Come and ask for prayer, okay? Pastors are going to come forward, and we're going to pray for you, and we're never going to tell anyone. Okay? Amen. I better close in prayer. I'm new at this. Lord, we just thank you so much that you are faithful. I thank you, Jesus, for for being the Savior. I thank you, Lord, for overcoming evil. Lord, would you fill us with your Spirit God, I pray that you would reveal to our hearts that, that sin, that lust that we have been building inside of us, Lord, that the devil is just waiting to take advantage of. Would you reveal those, those things to our hearts, God? And God, cause us to come clean. We thank you. Thank you for this communion. We thank you, Jesus, for your shed blood. We thank you, Jesus, for your body, which is broken. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for giving us hope. We thank you that it's not over. Jesus, would you do a miracle in our marriages? Would you do a miracle in our relationships, God, and fill us? Lord, we trust you and only you. These are things, God, that are in your authority and only your authority. We give you glory tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.